How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody's talking, doing good. All right. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to stop talking about how unfair they've been treated, right? Hey, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Mike. I'm one of the volunteers here at Mosaic. And um, in this interim time, um, I get the opportunity to teach every once in a while and enjoy doing that. And uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, this morning's going to be awesome. I've got some grandkids here from Texas, and so it's awesome to have them around. Don't get to see them a lot. They just keep growing up, and it's crazy and makes me feel even older. So uh, say hi to the Texas kids, and uh, glad they're here. But it was really kind of weird because when we were getting stuff ready for that uh, uh, survival kit for Evan, uh, you know, if you Google that, there's tons of ideas. There's so many guys that have gone on tour and said, man, you got to remember these, these things. Don't, don't forget these things. And one of them that showed up over and over again was socks, and the other one was underwear. And, and so, you know, there's lots of choices of underwear. And so it was kind of weird because the only way that I had to connect uh, with Krissa, uh, Evan's wife, was by Facebook. And so I send her this private message, and I'm like, I know this is going to be kind of weird, uh, but what kind of underwear does Evan wear? <laughs> yeah, you know? And that's just kind of an odd subject to kind of breach with somebody. And uh, she was very kind and, and didn't think I was a perv or anything like that. And uh, so, so she responded back and said, well, when he wears them. And so then it was so, it was so funny when he said that. Uh, so that was cool. But uh, we had to buy him at least one sexy pair just to give him a hard time. So anyway, uh, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we are in week two of this series that we started, The Kingdom of Losers. And uh, I love this, this graphic that they came up with for this because uh, this kind of is me sometimes where you just kind of throw up your hands when you're reading stuff in the scripture and, and you just sometimes just stop and you go, wait, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and so I love that when I, when I saw that last week, uh, that graphic for the kingdom of losers, because none of us like to think of about ourselves as losers. Um, we live in a very competitive world uh, where we all we all want to be winners. But the interesting thing is that it, this series is all about looking at parables that Jesus taught, and in those parables, he talks a lot about winners and losers. But the interesting thing is that a lot of times the the winners actually look more like losers when you re- actually read the story. And, and so that's, that's why we created this series, because I, I love parables. Um, I really do. <laughs> but there are times when, when I read them, and I'm, I'm kind of like those people that had to be listening to them as Jesus taught them, and sometimes I'm just kind of scratching my head and, and, and stretching out my arms going, uh, wait, What? Uh, because sometimes it doesn't make sense. And so that's why we want to look at it. And one of the things about parables that I think sometimes we forget is why Jesus used parables. And if you're not familiar with parables, uh, if, if that's a church term that you, you aren't really familiar with, 
It's basically just a story that Jesus used to illustrate what he's trying to, to teach people. And, and it's just a basic story that he pulls out of everyday living. And, and, and I love stories. I grew up in a home where, where we sat around the table and listened uh, to my dad tell stories and, and loved those. And I can still repeat those today because I heard them and listened to them so many times and they, and they sunk in. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do as he teaches these parables. He's trying to get us to understand some things. But his disciples, after he had told a parable one time, his disciples asked him that question. They said, why do you teach in parables? And it was really interesting the way that he answered it. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, we, we see that. We see that his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And then he goes on and he quotes this Old Testament prophecy, which basically was a prophecy pointing to the one who was coming, to that Messiah. And he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear. And their hearts cannot understand, and they, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Does that bother you a little bit? The fact that not everybody could understand, uh, and Jesus knew that, and yet he told parables anyway. Does that, does that bother you? Because it, it bothers me a little bit. Because uh, there, there are times when, when I first read that, I remember reading that the very first time and thinking, you know, well, is that really fair that, you know, uh, Jesus is using this kind of coded stuff? Or what, what's going on here? And, and then as you really start to understand it, it isn't so much that he's speaking in a way that they can't understand it's simply the fact that they don't want to understand. It's something so different than what they've always believed that they refuse to even be open to that possibility. And when you, when you recognize that and you understand why Jesus tells these parables and why there's so many times in the Bible where, where you're reading those things and you go, wait, what? Then you begin to understand exactly why Jesus used those parables is because he was trying to get us to think. Don't we hate that? I mean, I used to hate that when teachers would actually make me think. You know, I just thought that was really unfair. But, 
but when they, they're trying to get you to think, they're trying to, re, to, to challenge you to get your own understanding, to really dive into it, to ask those questions, to get to that place where, where you're, you're challenged in what you believe so that you have to really ask yourself, is this true? And that's exactly why Jesus um, used parables. So, how many of you guys are consider yourselves kind of uh, justice warriors? You know, you're, you're the kind of person that nothing will get your blood boiling faster than to see injustice in this world, uh, people being mistreated. How many injustice warriors do we have in here? Okay, you are going to hate this parable, all right? Okay? <laughs> You are going to hate this parable. And, and, and the thing of the matter is, is that uh, none of us, when, when we're honest, none of us like to have life be unfair, right? Can we, can we agree with that? That all of us, despite the fact that every day when we turn on the news, every day when we're, when we're seeing the things going on around us, we see that life is not fair, that there's so many things in this world that, that are not fair. Despite all that, what we all really desire, if we're honest, is for things to be fair, right? Can we all agree with that? Okay. We're all going to hate this parable. Okay, because that's just the way it is. This is one of those parables that many times it is so hard to hear. And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 20 this morning. And Jesus is talking about this. He tells this parable. And again, it's one of those parables that starts out that the kingdom of heaven is like. All right? So the kingdom of heaven is like. And whenever he does that, I'm sorry, this is buzzing like crazy, but I'll try and untuck my shirt see if it helps. All right. So uh, the kingdom of heaven is like. And whenever he does that, he's talking about this kingdom of losers that he's establishing. It starts out in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. So a daily wage was a coin in that time called a denarius. And if you have uh, a different version than what we're reading right here, it may very well say that, a denarius. Then it goes on. It says, at 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in the vineyard. That evening... He told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full, full day's wage. They each received a denarius. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people, 
those people, worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. Now notice, <laughs> it's scorching heat. It wasn't just hot. You know, isn't that like when you, when you feel like you've been, had something happen to you that's wrong, all of a sudden we all become drama queens, right? You know, it's like, man, it was scorching heat out there. Not just hot, it was scorching heat. I always, I always love that part of it. And, and so the question is, do these guys have a gripe? Is this, is this protesting on their part? Is that right? And before you put your little church halo on and say, well, yes, because the master can do whatever he wants. Uh, stop and think for a minute. Would you really respond that way if, if you were at work and something like this happened? Would you say, oh, man, boss, you are so awesome. I'm going to elect you to be or, or, or uh, put you up to be boss of the year. <laughs> there is no way that you can read this and say that that's a fair deal, right? But let, let's read on and, and hear the boss's man's response here. He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with, the, with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? And then Jesus says this, this theme that, that comes up over and over again when he's talking about his kingdom. And he says, so those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. So let me ask you. Are you satisfied with the master's response there? Does it make you feel all hunky-dory like, oh, yeah, he's right. So, shucks. You know, I'm feeling good. You know, can't you just see the, the tension that's taking place here as you've got the other guys over here, you know, that are like, whoo I worked an hour, got a denarius. Awesome. And you got you over here that's worked outside. You're sweaty. You're dirty. You got grape stains all over you and, and bird poop because birds are always around grapes, just so you know. And, and you've got all this going on. <laughs> and there's this tension that's taking place. And you know the master's right. But it still doesn't set well, does it? And I think in order for us to really understand this parable and to really understand the full impact here of what Jesus is teaching, we have to place ourselves back and get a little bit of an understanding about what life was like for the worker during that time. Because going to work for most people during that time was much different than what it was for, for you and I. Um, because most people did not know whether they were going to have work that day or not. It was different than you who have a job and you're guaranteed your hours for the week and so you're going to work. They were more, it was more accurate to say they were going to look for work because what they would do is they would show up at sunrise because the normal work day started at sunrise and ended at sunset. 
And so they would show up in the marketplace at sunrise and stand around and wait. And then the people who needed workers would come to the marketplace as well, and they would hire them. And they would say, okay, I want you, and let's see, you, and you, and you, and you. And you can imagine that what happens during that time is the strongest, the best of the best workers are chosen first. And so if I'm there, you know, they're going to walk up, and they're gonna, I'm going to be standing right in front, and they're going to go, oh, let's see, uh, you, and you, and you, and not you, uh, and, and, and they're going to push me aside, right? Because I'm old and fat and, and can't bend over and pr- would probably eat more grapes than I picked. And so they're going to say, they're going to say no to me. So the youngest and best, best are chosen first. And you have to realize that, you know, just like a lot of us in this room live paycheck to paycheck, Uh, Instead, these people lived literally from day to day because when they were paid a a day's wage, what that meant was it was enough to provide for their family for a day. And that's how they lived. They lived from day to day to day. And if you didn't get chosen, you didn't just go home because that was not a good situation because you going home meant no pay. And you no pay meant no eat for many of them. And so it was literally a meaning of going home empty-handed to empty cupboards. So when the master back at mid-morning and then at noon and then at three, again, each time that pool of workers is getting drawn down, okay, so at 5 o'clock, I'm still standing. I'm still there. And he's like, look around. Why are you still here? Nobody's hired me. He's like, all right, go. You see, because many of those people that were still left were the weak, the old A lot of them were widowed women who had to provide for their family. And many of them might even have been sick or crippled. And that's what was left. So you see, the master wasn't really hiring them because he needed more workers. Because the story, the story isn't that Jesus tells the story isn't at the end of the day, the master set a new record for most grapes picked in a, in a work day because he hired all these extra help. No, the master was not hiring them because he needed more workers. He hired them because he recognized their need. So when he hired the first workers... He paid them a wage. But when he hired the later workers, he gave them a gift. And that's the difference in this story. You see, this is is a parable that shows us that God doesn't pay wages based upon what we do. He's a God that gives gifts. 
And those gifts come because this is really a story about grace. It's not economics. It doesn't make any sense when you think of it in that term. It's all about grace. And the fact of the matter is that grace is not fair. It can't be fair. Because grace is literally getting something that you don't deserve. So it can't be fair. Its very essence means that it can't be fair. And in this kingdom of losers, you have this grace and you have this desire for fairness that exists and they collide. And that collision creates a problem for a lot of people. It creates this this stumbling block for people because they just can't get past it. And this is a common thread that runs through so many parables. Jeff talked about it last week when he talked about the prodigal son and the older son that stayed behind uh, after the prodigal son left and then came back. What was he really saying to his dad? It's not fair. And that's exactly what these workers are really saying is, wait a minute, what you're doing is not fair. We worked for so long. It's not fair. And you and I are saved by grace, and it is not fair. Because grace can't be fair. And grace is not about us accumulating things that we've done. Grace is about what God has already done for us. And when you look at this story through this lens of grace, you begin to see that what the master did was absolutely fair. He gave the first workers what he had promised them, but he recognized the needs of all of them as being the same, and he chose to meet their needs each and every one of them. And that makes it kind of an amazing story. Now, when you stop and think about what happens when you don't allow grace to flow like that, what happens is you see this, especially in the Christian culture, you see this legalism that takes place. And this was the same type of legalism that Jesus spoke into over and over again as he spoke these parables. And that was that legalism is what caused these people to reject what he was saying as not true. Because that legalism created these rules. And, and what do you have rules for? You have rules to try and make things fair, right? In sports, you have rules to make the game fair. You know, I used to love to play basketball, believe it or not. <laughs> I did. I used, and, and I was very physical when I played basketball because uh, I had to be because I'm not a giant, in case you didn't notice. Uh, but one of the things that I hated was that I could get perfect position for a rebound. I could be right where I needed to be. I could have that person checked out behind me, and I could be ready to go, and I could launch myself as high as I could jump, and that 6'8 guy could reach over the top of me and grab the ball 
And I'd be like floating through air going, where did it go? You know, and I hated that. And the thing that I learned is how to do the flop. Anybody do the flop playing basketball? I would do the flop. And that's when you go, Wah! and you fall down like the guy shoved you, you know. And here's what I learned. If you had short refs, you'd get that call. <laughs> yeah, because they wanted it to be fair. And they knew. They had been there. They had experienced that. But if you had a tall ref, he would just wink at you like, yeah, nice try. You know, I, it, but those rules were created to be fair. And that's what happens when legalism steps in and it creates these things. Oh, wait a minute. We can't just have this grace that flows freely. We have to have these rules that make it fair because that's just not fair to have grace flow like that. And they take grace away. And all it does, it creates rules that gain you approval by other people for living a life that they think is the right life for you to live. And as long as you live within those rules, you've got it. And it robs grace of the power that it has to change lives. I want to go ahead and have the band kind of start making their way up here. Um, And I just really want to kind of drive this home uh, because I struggled with this big time uh, when I was in high school. Um, I've told you before, I I was raised in a pretty pretty heavily uh, legalistic church setting. Um, and, And I remember... When I was in high school, uh, 1974, you know, I'm really dating myself now. Most of you are like, huh? 1974? Wow, that's history. But it it was history, all right? But 1974, there was a serial killer that uh, began to surface. And uh, he was uh, captured, got away, captured again, got away captured a third time and and got away again and ended up killing a 12-year-old girl. And all of his victims were women and he was found, he confessed to killing 36 women and they think based on the crime scenes that they saw and the similarities of all those crime scenes, they felt like he was actually involved in about 100 deaths. And it was not, uh, the crime scenes were gruesome. And I, I, it impacted me during that time, just hearing it. Because, I mean, people were scared. Uh, you know, two of the victims, he broke into a sorority house and, and ended up killing two women there. And, and uh, there were several others that were hurt. And it was horrific. The things that he did to these people were, it was horrible. And the guy's name was Ted Bundy. And if you know anything about serial killers, you've probably heard of Ted Bundy because he was a famous serial killer, good-looking guy who just uh, talked a lot about uh, pornography and how that just ruined his life and, and led him down that path. But I remember that in 1989, he was about to be executed in Florida 
But the uh, state attorney general in Florida, he was a Christian. And he had been sitting through all these horrific interviews with Ted Bundy as he described the things that he did to these women. And he, he started to pray with Ted. And he started to tell Ted the gospel. And, and I remember when he had an interview the night before he was executed with, with James Dobson. And in that interview, it came out that Ted Bunny had become a Christian. And I was so ticked. I was furious. And it became this huge firestorm in the Christian community. Uh, that This poor guy who is the, the uh, attorney general, he, he got under so much attack. I mean, there was one side that was attacking him because he was using his state-appointed position to proselytize, you know, and that was bad. But even more so, there was this group of Christians in the Christians community that just said, how dare you offer the gospel to this scumbag? And, and I remember talking with um, high school kids in my youth group and, you know, as a youth group leader, you have to say the right things, right? And so, you know, I'm telling them about grace. But in my heart, I was mad. How could a just God forgive Ted Bundy? And I struggled with that for a long time. And then it really became clear to me, and God really broke me on that. That's why I get emotional. Or allergies, right? That's that's what it is. But um, that was the moment where grace became real to me. Because I understood that I didn't deserve it any more than a Ted Bundy. That when the master looked at me, he saw the need. And when he looked at Ted Bundy, he saw the need of a Savior. It's not fair, but it's grace. And that's what makes this kingdom of losers so strange and so crazy is this thing called grace and we talk about it so much but you know what I hear from people a lot of times when I talk about it is well then why don't we all just 
be a Ted Bundy. Well, they don't say that. But they say, so why don't we just live it up and just, just go the way and then count on grace at the last minute, just like Ted Bundy did. And you know, I couldn't, my best response to that is stop and think about the life of Ted Bundy. And then think about the life of somebody that you know who has lived that life serving God and loving God. Which life do you want? That's the answer. Because grace is available, but what we do with that grace is important for us. Because it's a gift, and just like if I give you a gift, what you do with that gift tells me what it means to you. And that's how I balance that grace. That's how I am willing to say, okay, God, you can choose to offer that to whoever you want because I need it, and you've offered it to me.